So Jesus starts out on this journey and a man rushes up to him, falls at his knees in front of him and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The conversation that ensues is particularly challenging. It was challenging for the man who asked the question. It was challenging for Jesus' disciples and it's challenging for us because it has to do with our attitude to wealth and material possessions. And today we're going to try and answer two questions that arise from reading this passage. Firstly, why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And secondly, what is the solution? Where is the hope? But first, let's look at the exchange itself. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke all record details of this conversation and they emphasize that the man who came to Jesus was very wealthy. Matthew tells us that he was a young man. Luke tells us that he was a ruler. It's striking that he fell on his knees before Jesus. There's certainly a degree of humility and a recognition that Jesus is greater than he. And he addresses Jesus as good teacher. And Jesus replies, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's as if Jesus is saying, you're calling me good But will you go one further and acknowledge that I am, in fact, God? Jesus then draws the man's attention to the Ten Commandments. He summarizes them. He gives five. And the man replies, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. You can imagine him perking up, can't you? Oh, is that what I need to do? Well, I've done all that. Do I get eternal life? And this is a trap that uh, many fall into today. We equate being a good citizen with being a good person. You know, if we kept the law of the land, more or less, and we've not harmed anyone, uh, then if there is such a thing as eternal life, then we'll qualify, right? You will have heard people saying things like, I don't really know if there's a God, but if there is, I've been a good person, I'll be okay. There are lots of people who lead very commendable lives. They work hard and pay their taxes. Uh, They're basically pretty honest. They love their children. They are faithful to their spouse. Uh, They're good citizens. And there's no doubt that this rich young ruler fell into that category. But Jesus said, no one is good. No one is good except God alone. So if no one is good, there must be some other basis upon which we receive eternal life. We see that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. The question now is, will that love be reciprocated? And this is a vital question for all of us. Uh, Jesus loves us. He's died for us. That's what we were just singing about. Will we reciprocate that love and put our faith in him? Attempting to comply with the rules of morality is one thing. But do we love Jesus? That is the question that really matters. Jesus tests the young man's heart. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Isn't it tragic that such a wonderful promise, treasure in heaven, is met with such disappointment. Jesus offered this man everything, and yet he went away sad. And this is the tragedy of the human condition. God offers us everything, and yet there are so many that reject God 
and all that he offers. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this brings us to the first of our two questions. Why is it so hard for the rich to enter God's kingdom? But firstly, how do we define rich? I'm not even sure how you do that. I mean, most of us are not rich by Australian standards, but compared to the average person living in the Democratic Republic of Congo or Somalia, well, then we are rich. But, you know, I don't think we can say, oh, my uh, financial assets slash income are below X amount, therefore I'm not rich, therefore this doesn't apply to me. This message is to, is to do with an attitude of heart, not an arbitrary measure of wealth. Jesus put his finger on an attitude that would prevent this rich young man from truly following him. And I can sum it up in one word, materialism. This man was so attached to his wealth and material possessions that he couldn't let them go, even when he was presented with such an amazing promise. He replaced direct trust in God and its reward treasure in heaven with earthly riches. The rich man claimed that he'd kept all of the commandments, but we can see there's at least one that he hadn't kept. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. The rich man had made wealth his God. At heart, materialism is uh, living as if the material world, what we can see and touch, living as if that's all there is, is a very short-sighted perspective. But if you think this is all there is, then of course you're going to try and hold on to what you've got. Materialism is replacing God with the things that he's, he's uh, created for our benefit and enjoyment. It's a refusal to put our faith and trust in Jesus. When we started uh, teaching our children about money, we introduced a pocket money system so that they could earn a certain amount of pocket money uh, each week. And of course, we never had the right uh, change, so we'd always give them some money and take the change out of their pocket money jar. Uh, which was fine because it meant we could teach them about counting and giving change and all that sort of thing. Uh, and there was an occasion where Isabel had earned, I think, uh, $1.30, something like that. So I gave her a $2 coin, and I took back a $0.50 cents and a $0.20. Cents. Big problem. Uh, this did not go down well. Isabel did not want to give up two big coins for one rather small one. She thought that this was a very bad deal. Uh, but eventually, it just came down to trust. Uh, on that occasion, Isabel didn't really grasp the maths, but she trusted me not to defraud her. She trusted me because she knows that I love her and because she loves me. Of course, it could have gone the other way. She could have kept the 70 cents and turned down the $2, and actually I would have allowed her to do that if she'd insisted and that is what materialism is. It's holding on tightly to what we've got because we don't trust God to give us anything better. It's exactly what the rich young ruler did. He was promised treasure in heaven, but he wasn't willing to give up his earthly wealth. As we've already seen, we don't inherit eternal life because we are good. We inherit eternal life because we put our faith and trust in Jesus, whom we love. If we're putting our faith elsewhere, you can see the difficulty, can't you? You can see 
why it is hard for the rich to, uh, to uh, enter the kingdom of God. Not on account of their wealth, but on account of the fact that they're putting their trust in their wealth and not in Jesus. We live in a culture that believes that wealth, possessions, comfort, and ease of life leads to fulfillment. It's one of the biggest lies of our time. Being rich doesn't equate to fulfillment and happiness. Uh, Jack Ma, I think he's uh, currently China's third richest uh, person. Uh, he's the founder of the retail giant Alibaba. He's worth an estimated $40 billion. In a TV interview, he admitted that he's not very happy. In fact, those were his exact words. He said, I'm not very happy. Jack Ma never expected to make a fortune. He just wanted to be a respected businessman. But for those who make getting rich their focus, it's even worse. I mean, if someone is trying to get rich, how much wealth is enough? It's always going to be a little bit more than they have. And how many rich celebrities do we see going in and out of rehab because they're really struggling with life? They've discovered that their wealth doesn't bring fulfillment. And so they're looking for fulfillment in other places, but all the wrong places. No matter how much evidence points to the fact that money doesn't buy happiness, people will always try. That said... There's no doubt that many people do get a certain amount of satisfaction from the wealth and the comfort that they enjoy. But it's a pale and short-lived imitation of the treasure that Jesus offers us. I mean, even if, even if the rich young ruler had been content with his lot, what we might call happy, it's all rather transitory. He'd only have the remainder of his life to enjoy it, and then he'd have to give it all up. By contrast, Jesus offers him treasure that will last forever, for all eternity. Materialism, by the way, is not the preserve of those who are rich and trying to get richer. It's an attitude that can be found in people from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, You don't need to have a lot of wealth and material possessions to be materialistic. Uh, A materialistic person who has wealth will try and uh, cling on to it at all costs. A materialistic person who's not wealthy uh, believes that if they only have enough money, then everything will be okay. All their problems will just disappear. I recently uh, heard a testimony from a man who grew up in a socially deprived family, and he talked about there being arguments about money, gambling, depression, alcohol addiction, Even though they didn't have enough money, the thought of having it was like a carrot dangling in front of them, always just out of reach. Uh, The family's hope of a brighter future hinged on them having more money. In a sense, they were putting their trust in wealth, even though they weren't wealthy. Of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve our circumstances. And sometimes, depending on our situation, it takes money to do that. That's a reality. Didn't Jesus say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well? It's not a sin to be wealthy, but the wealthier we are, the harder it is to maintain a right relationship with God and a right attitude towards money. You see, material wealth leads to a false sense of security. It can make us feel like we have no need for God. 
can move us towards self-sufficiency and independence from God. And this is a very uh, dangerous place to be. So we've seen that an unhealthy attachment to wealth can seriously damage our relationship with God. In some cases, it can prevent there being any kind of relationship at all. So let's turn to question number two. What is the solution? What is the hope? Well, Jesus recognized the state of the man's heart and he told him to sell up everything, give the money to the poor and follow him. But selling all that he had was not the special good thing that would earn him eternal life. The command was given because the attempt to obey it would reveal that this man didn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul and strength. Selling everything was the antidote to this particular rich young man's materialism. If he could bring himself to abandon his wealth, he'd be free to love and serve Jesus. But Jesus didn't command every rich person he encountered to go and sell all their possessions. For example, in Matthew's Gospel, we hear about Joseph of Arimathea. He is described as a rich man and a disciple of Jesus. In other words, it is possible to be both rich and a disciple of Jesus. The two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. But that doesn't let us off the hook. We need to look inside ourselves and see how materialistic we are. Uh, Because we are all materialistic to some extent. And so the question to ask ourselves is, how can I be less materialistic? And the answer is very simple. Well, in theory, it's simple. In practice, it's a lot harder. Uh, We must learn to hold on to wealth lightly and be generous with the resources that God has given us. And if you want to know if materialism has got a grip of you, if you want to know if materialism has got a grip of you, try tithing. Try tithing. Setting aside a portion of your income to God's work. I don't mean a few dollars here and there. I mean a percentage of your income. I mean, it's the most basic or one of the most basic of Christian disciplines, but are we doing it? When I talk about tithing, the reasons come to mind why uh, your situation is different, why you might be exempt from this. You know, we're not being asked to sell everything and give it all to the poor, but there is an expectation that we will live generously regardless of whether we're rich or poor. This teaching is seriously challenging because it strikes at the heart of something we hold very dear to us, our money and our wealth. The book of Acts tells us about Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman in Philippi who housed Paul and Silas when they were visiting Philippi. And she opened up her home and used it as a meeting place for the church. So that's a wealthy follower of Jesus who was generous. Uh, But then we have the example of the poor widow who Jesus saw putting two copper coins into the offering, which is a very small amount of money. And yet Jesus singled her out as being the most generous because relatively speaking, she gave more than all the others. Anyone, anyone can be generous regardless of their personal circumstances. I came across a moving story of a US soldier who soon after entering a restaurant was approached by an eight-year-old boy called Miles Eckhart. And uh, Miles handed him uh, uh, $20 wrapped in a note. And the note read this. Dear soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. 
I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Signed, Miles Eckhart. We are all called to live generously, no matter what our station in life. And it's liberating when we do. Have you ever had a massive clear out when you take boxes and boxes of stuff to the op shop or the tip? Uh, Don't you feel lighter afterwards? Being able to get rid of all that stuff is wonderful. And living generously, not holding on tightly to our wealth and our stuff is liberating. It has the same effect. It frees us up to have a better relationship with Jesus and with others. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Hold on to wealth lightly. Do we think more about what we can give or what we can get? Even the rich man's question belied his seemingly good intention. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't ask, what must I do to please God? What must I do to live a righteous life? His question is all about what he hopes to get, eternal life. And when the man went away sad, Jesus' response was both surprising and witty. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It was surprising because people in that day would have assumed that the rich were especially blessed by God on account of the fact that they were good people. Well, Jesus repudiates that idea. And it's also quite witty, kind of ancient cartoon image of this camel trying to squeeze itself through the eye of a needle. Actually, when Tissa and I were in Jerusalem, we had this wonderful guide who was a Palestinian Christian by the name of Yaoud. And he showed us a very small gate. I think it was on the south side of the old city. And it's rumored that this gate was known as the Eye of the Needle. And you could just about get a camel through the gate, but you'd have to unload it first. Uh, The camel wouldn't be able to enter this gate if it was loaded up with stores and, and, and the like. Uh, Now, there's probably not enough evidence to say for sure that this is what Jesus was talking about, uh, but it provides a wonderful image. If we are to enter God's kingdom, we must loose ourselves from our attachment to wealth and material things. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense? Why spend so much time accumulating and holding on to something that we can't keep? Unless, of course, we do think this is all there is. But I hope we don't think that. Corrie ten Boom, a remarkable woman who hid Jews from the Nazis in the Second World War, said this. She said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. When the disciples hear Jesus' words about camels and needles they exclaim well who then can be saved Jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible but with God all things are possible we can loosen our attachment to wealth and material possessions but we can't do it in our own strength it's a work of the Holy Spirit it requires prayer and a willingness to follow the Spirit's lead the Spirit's direction Jesus reminds us that what we give up, I mean, even if we did sell everything that we have, if we sold every last thing that we have, 
what we'd be given up would be nothing in comparison to what we receive. Fullness of life and richness of relationship in this life and treasure in heaven in the life to come. I heard of a pastor who had these words written above the door of his study. Remember the rich young man. Remember the rich young man. We must remember this rich young man as an encouragement and an incentive to do the opposite. We are to put our faith and trust in Jesus and let go of our wealth and comfort, holding on to it lightly by living generously. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that it is so easy to get caught up in materialism. And even that reading from Ecclesiastes reminded us that this is not a new phenomena, people storing up wealth, storing up possessions. But Father, we pray that we'll, through the work of your Spirit within us, be able to change our attitude and our perspective. We'll be able to see that what you offer us is infinitely better, infinitely superior to anything that we can accumulate in this life. And we pray that we will know and experience the freedom and the liberty of holding on to wealth lightly and living generously and making our relationship with you and with others our priority. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.